This week on a lively experiment, a big win for unions, but will Governor Raimondo veto evergreen legislation? And Speaker Mattiello proposes a threat assessment team in Rhode Island schools. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining us on the panel, Lisa Pelosi, Republican strategist, former state representative Nick Gorham, and Dave Lehman, corporate communications consultant and former news editor. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. Over the strenuous objection of municipal leaders across the state, the House overwhelmingly passed a so-called evergreen bill this week that would indefinitely extend police, fire, teacher, and municipal contracts. A variation of the legislation passed two years ago, but was vetoed by Governor Raimondo. And with expected passage in the Senate, the question now is, will the governor pull out the veto pen again or change course now that she is not facing re-election. Uh, Lisa, I think all of us are trying to figure out what exactly this bill is against the other one, and there's been a lot of discussion. Your, what's your take on it? Yeah, so I think what we heard, you know, and again, we, we depend on the media so much to do this kind of analysis for us, and I have to admit, I haven't looked at the 2017 bill versus the 2019 bill line by line to figure it out, so I'm looking to the media to do this, but they did ask the question of the governor's people, you know, what were the recommendations that the governor put forward in her veto message a couple years ago? They're saying that they were incorporated in, the, in this bill, and then when asked what were they, what is that's it? where we are right now. So I think, you know, we're all trying to figure out, I'm trying to figure out what has changed in this state because a number of years ago when the governor, when she was treasurer, was able to get forward with her pension reform bill, we thought the union's um, strength was going down. And then now an election happens and then we have these bills coming forward and she's not coming out right now to say she's going to veto them after you so um, mentioned. We had mayors and town managers from Westerly to Woonsocket saying this is bad. Nick, you've seen this both, you've been a former legislator, but also you're the solicitor for, uh, for Coventry. So you see, you see it from both sides. The effect, if this does go through and it looks like it, it may, what are you thinking for municipalities? I think it's just going to be harder to make responsible budgets in municipalities because you've got the 4% cap on the one hand uh, that's been imposed by the legislature. And when you make it harder to control costs, which is what the complaint is uh, among the many municipal leaders who testified against the bill and held press conferences, including the mayor of Providence and, and others. Um, it's just going to be impossible to make a budget that stays below 4%. And I think the real casualty is going to be how are, how are uh, municipalities going to finance capital improvements to their budgets? That's going to be really challenging. Because there's only so much money. Correct. You've, you've got to... 4% cap imposed by the General Assembly every year on the levy. So it's going to be very challenging. I think um, regardless of whether it's very different uh, from the 2000, 
17 bill. I think the governor is going to be under tremendous pressure to veto this from the municipalities and, you know, perhaps the media. She's really on the spot now. But she was also supported by the unions in some ways and, and Speaker Mattiello, so maybe the die was cast initially, although we'll see. Dave? Well, you know, the one thing that she has going for her, in a sense, is she is not up for re-election down the road where, where she, if she angers the unions by vetoing it, that that could come back to haunt her because she has a fragile relationship to a certain extent because of the pension uh, decisions that she made back when she was the state treasurer. Uh, the other the other aspect of this, I, I think, for, for, for Gina Raimondo is she's got to figure out it, as head of the, the National Governors Association if there, I don't know if there are any implications there, if there are pressure on her being the head of the Democratic Governors Association, uh, that uh, that there might be some pressure there in a presidential year. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure about those nuances, but I think on the merits of it, that's where this gets really difficult. And I think it does show the power, the the enormous power that labor still has. Sometimes I think when we look at the the number of, uh, of people who are in the in uh, labor membership has gone down, but Rhode Island I think has the highest per capita uh, number of people in unions still in, in the country. I think we're about 17 percent. The national average is, I think, around 11 percent. So we are still a very unionized state by comparison, a lot less than what it was 30 years ago. So it, it, it's a tough act. And I think labor does make an argument that if a contract comes to an end and there's nothing in place, obviously, there have been some communities that have taken very drastic action. They've changed the, the contract uh, until a new contract is in. Uh, some have, have viewed that as being punitive. I guess this is one of those situations, uh, really, uh, when you look at this, where you stand kind of depends upon where you sit. Well, and it was East <laughs> Providence 10 years ago, and then it was North Kingstown with the firefighters because they were in between contracts. That's the example they used. And, and Warwick, too. And here's one of my gripes, and I'm going to turn to Nick on this one, too, that what the General Assembly can do sometimes... More we're hearing there's goodwill, good faith on both sides to try to come together when a contract's about to end to do this. This bill, should it go forward, really tips it in favor of the, of the unions, of the people. Why should they come back not to do it? not coming to the table. But you just right. brought up, I mean, in East Providence, it was a very unique situation a number of years ago under the budget of why they had to do what they do. Warwick, another example, they have had bad relations between the city council and the school committee to begin with. But this is what I don't like. When the General Assembly, here we have a couple instances, oh, let's pass this bill that's going to impact every single town and community in the state, instead of just letting, you know, letting the you know, two parties work it out. That's what the General Assembly does sometimes. They do right. this broad sweep. Right. Well, they have the power to set the rules for collective bargaining. The trouble with this is that it just removes a huge incentive for the unions to come to the table at all. Mm -hmm. If you've got what you want, um, then the Evergreen Bill, as it's called, really removes uh, a lot of the inducements to come to the table. If you've got what you want, why would you? They, uh, and if you do come well, to the table, it's going to be retroactive. The union representative called it contract continuation legislation. They didn't want it to be lifetime or evergreen. You made a good point at the beginning, though. You look at the totality. The firefighter overtime bill went through. That was controversial. And the stop and shop union seemed to have really scored a pretty big victory here. I think management took a real hit on that. So it goes to your point, Dave, about at a time when unions maybe have, have been seen as weak, mm -hmm. here, looking pretty good, right? 
Um, it, it is. But, you know, I'm just going to talk to my personal situation. And, um, I'm a sh stop and shop. And the reason I didn't go shopping was I didn't want the people there to Yelling remember me <laughs> that I didn't. Now, that doesn't mean I was taking sides and I'm supporting the union over the management. Yeah. It was more the personal relationship. We're waiting for to see if the workers are going to ratify that. And we still don't know exact the details of what the agreement was. So I can't tell you yet that union won over management on this. So we shall see. All right. Providence schools got a lot of attention the last uh, week. Governor Mundo and uh, Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza came together to say we need to fix the problem. I guess the question a lot of people have, Dave, is where you been the last four years? I mean, this is like some new revelation that we've got to take care of the children. You right? know, I, uh, I worked here as a news anchor for a number of years, and I would come back and work here again and leave and come back and work here again. And it's almost as if it's the same thing it's from 30, 30 years ago. I mean, it's just amazing that, that this problem continues. We have consistently been certainly in the last 20 years, well below our, our neighbors in Massachusetts. And, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, as parents, as, as some of us are, uh, sometimes your message doesn't get to your children as effectively as if you point to the next-door neighbor and say, why can't you be a little bit more like Johnny, who's a great kid? This is kind of the same thing with us. We've got a great state next to us, Massachusetts, which has done a great job. They were in trouble 20 years ago. They figured out a way to do it. We keep hopscotching around. We can't keep superintendents for very long. We can't keep education commissioners very long. If you get somebody who wants to come in here and really shake things up, oh my God, everybody blows up. And that's where, and the unions come into play on that as well. They ex exert a lot of pressure. So we have the stasis that you j we just can't get beyond. And, you know, if there weren't a lot at stake, maybe we wouldn't have to worry about it so much. But this really, if you think about it, if we're starting at ground zero again, think about how long it took Massachusetts to get their act together. And think of all the kids who are, who are not going to have a good education, who are going to drop out, who are not going to be able to, to be able to do math and, and science at the level that other states around the country. It's a tremendous, it, this is really an economic issue, uh, almost more so than it is an educational issue. I know when I heard it, I had a kind of a mix, hallelujah, and then <laughs> what took us so long to do this? You know, when I well, think... like this is the new thing now. I'm in my second, where were you your first term? Both the mayor, and I'm sure some of this was driven by the new education commissioner who was coming in, uh, Ms. Infante Green. Because... Right, so we have that change. We have a new superintendent coming into the mm -hmm. um, Providence School. You know, so here we go again, and it's supposed to take 60 days. If we don't know by now, what what's wrong, are. right? Mm -hmm. So that's not the issue. It's going to be, what are we going to do to change it? And I don't know if we're ready to make those hard decisions. It could just be, once again, here we go through an exercise of looking at everything, bringing people to the, get, to the table, getting comments. But will this, you know, the new commissioner really, really be able to have the political will and force behind her to make these changes? And as you said about the changing every few years, we've got to stay on course. Right. As Massachusetts said, what can they do in Providence? Well, in the interest of full disclosure, my wife is a Providence school teacher. So, so you hear uh, it at home. <laughs> I do. And it's, it's very enlightening, I'll tell you. Um, I think this is um, the new Commissioner of Education, Ms. Infante Green, delivering on a promise that she made, which is I'm going to fix mm -hmm. urban education first. And, of course, Providence is the centerpiece of that. And... I wish her well. I mean, this is going to be a real challenge. There are language barriers that are very difficult. 
to deal with. Uh, Providence being a declared sanctuary city, uh, it's only magnified that that issue. And I'm just I'm glad that the state and Providence are collaborating because Providence really it needs a breath of fresh air, a new look, and a way to fix the schools there. There's also no been question a about it. I, I was going to say I think uh, I really suspect that that if this doesn't work, and it doesn't work initially, I, I almost think it's going to be a state takeover of the Providence system. Well, that's what everybody that's asked rumor. at the press, co press conference, and then everybody's mm -hmm. like, whoa, we're not there yet. Yes. But if you're, if you're talking this magnitude and it doesn't work, then what other option do you have, right? You know, and I think it actually might be the best thing to happen, mm -hmm. and not just in the city of Providence. We should be looking at all the communities and have kind of benchmarks that if they're not meeting them, mm -hmm. holding them accountable, and then if they're not meeting it, having the, Depart you know, the State Department of Ed step in. I mean, what we've been doing is not working, and if we don't start changing it, I feel for the students, when I think back to when I was in Governor Almond's office, you know, almost, what, 18 years ago, Children have been born and gone through school generation. Through, through this. And it's just such a shame that the quality of your education depends on your zip code in the state. I mean, yeah. that is such a shame here. That's yeah. a fact. Absolutely. Well, speaking of schools, uh, Speaker Mattiello, <clears throat> not surprisingly, had uh, a bill that he is, uh, pr uh, he is the proponent of go through in lightning quick uh, fashion. It's a, it was set up, and this is in response to the gun control legislation, to set up threat assessment teams. And I thought this was a pretty good idea. Now, whether this gives him cover with, with passing gun control, but I thought it was interesting that this is a very practical thing to have people in the schools who know what's... Everybody, Dave, you and I have had kids in, in uh, schools that they say, hey, boy, this kid is really, he might go off the rail. Your kids know. Mm -hmm. So the students and teachers, and they would do a threat assessment. I think it's a practical step in the right direction. Uh, I, that was my, my first impression, too, and it still is my impression. However, I always get concerned about interim steps that, and I'm not sure where they're going to lead. Uh, I would like to know if, the, if this has been done elsewhere, and if it has been, what has been the success or the lack of success for that? Uh, but, I, but I think, you know, it almost seems like it's, it's, it's so consumer-friendly that you really can't uh, criticize it or you can't put it down. I just would like to know if it's been done somewhere else. Yeah, Maybe it has. Point. Yeah, I, I can't speak to elementary and secondary, but I can speak to higher education. And it's been done for a number of years mm -hmm. now that we have these teams put together of um, different departments within the university that come together on a regular basis. There are systems in place for teachers and for professors and for students and staff to anonymously send information along. So in case, you know, just to say, I'm, I'm concerned about the student. The behavior has changed over the past number of weeks. And then the group looks at it and mm -hmm. then figures out how best to go forward. It started with um, the Virginia Tech um, mm -hmm. incident back in 2007. If we have better awareness of the different you know, problems that students are confronting, the university needs to know it and then you know, work with the students. Now, does that practically bubble up if, if there was a problem kid now what anybody can report that to the team yes I mean, and can it bubble up from students too are yes. they made aware of yes this? yes mm -hmm. we do a lot of public education you know internally mm -hmm. for students to know for staff faculty all to know that you have a place to turn to that if you're concerned about somebody that you can report it and it's not telling on somebody it's really trying to see you know say there's been a change here what can we do to help and this maybe person? they need help yeah I think it's an effort by the speaker to uh, address the, the issue that is just never going to go away, which is what do you do about firearms near mm -hmm. schools? And I, I think 
it's as uh, Dave said, it's almost impossible to disagree with this idea. It's a good idea. Uh, it's been done elsewhere successfully, but I don't think it's going to satisfy the people who just want legislation that says under no circumstances can any gu guns be allowed anywhere near a school. And that's the difficult Second Amendment issue that I think the speaker is trying to avoid. And you've seen, I mean, we've seen that with abortion and gun control. You know, you see these rallies. Talk about groundhog <clears throat> year after year after year. And I think there, the circumstances have changed, certainly with the Parkland shooting. But, Nick, you were up there. I mean, I'm sure there were issues back. The gun control legislation was up there. But it's a pretty heavy lobby from the firearms group, is it not? Uh, <laughs> it is, and they, they are very effective. It, it always surprised me in Rhode Island, which is a general, it's a deep blue state, very liberal. The NRA is very effective in the Rhode Island General Assembly. There's no question about it. So um, this will be another litmus test about that, uh, because I don't think that issue with guns in schools is going away just because we have a threat assessment team imposed mm -hmm. by statute no, no. or not. Right. It's just not going well, away. Well, also, I, I do think that what has changed over the years, Jim, is that we have seen more and more <coughs> incidents uh, that affect colleges and universities where people have been shot, uh, somebody uh, has just gone off the rails, uh, and there's concern about adults going into the schools, uh, elementary and high schools and so forth. That has changed, and I think the seriousness of that threat uh, really, really is is a change agent here where something does need to be done. And in terms of weapons around schools or in schools, I, I would be in favor. My own feeling is I'd be in favor of that just because if you don't do it, we're inviting more and more of these episodes, which really result in carnage. It's not a one on one. It's uh, it's a lot of a lot of people who get killed at, at a very young age. So I think there's a social aspect of this as well. All right. Uh the General Assembly will be heading into the meat of the session shortly. Uh, big question is how they're going to balance this budget. Nick, we haven't had you on since this was uh, since this was introduced earlier, and we've picked this apart week after week. Having sat in that chamber and looking at this budget and how it's put together, give me your thoughts on it. Well, um, let's see. There's not enough money, and there are too many bills. So <clears throat> this is when it gets That pretty much whittles it down. Let's move to the next subject. So this is when you swing into my favorite part of the legislative year, when, you know, the rubber hits the road and things have to get done. And, I mean, all the indications are there's just not enough money. Mm -hmm. So now the priorities become determined. It's a $10 billion I, budget. How can yeah, there not be yeah, enough money? Yeah. You know, it was $6 billion when I was up there, and that was yeah. not, not that, that long, long ago. ago. <laughs> what yeah. happened to the $4 billion? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be interesting because um, you know the speaker has uh, he's got a majority but barely and there's that uh, article in the constitution that says you have to get 50 votes on the board mm. to pass all the local and uh, the, all the local appropriations local and private appropriations those are legislative grants the sweet candy of <laughs> um, inducement and I think he's uh, we talked about this before I think the last time I was on the Republicans may very well become relevant this year in helping the speaker craft a budget that will pass because they can be part of the 50 yeah so I think, you know, Nick, when we were up together, when Governor Ahman and you were in the General Assembly, it would always was the November estimating conference. The numbers came in low, 
and then May, the numbers came in high. It was right. like, you know, you know, perpetual, mm -hmm. that's what happened. I think what we've been seeing this year is that every indication is showing that the May revenues are not going to come in strong. Right. So the money's not, the extra money's not mm -hmm. going to be there. And then I think we've also looked at the projections that the governor made, the General Assembly made on gaming. We, that we haven't been able to meet it. So when you look at that, you know, $10, $10 million down, that's about the cost of the new proposed uh, pre-K program that the governor wants. Her expansion of free tuition already, at, we're hearing that that's not going to go, that we're not able to start doing new programs. So I think when those revenue estimates come in, I, we do believe the speaker is going to continue the full phase out of the car tax, and that's a significant that's amount baby, of money. Right? That's mm -hmm. a significant amount of money. So I don't know. I always talk about horse trading, like you said, your favorite time of year. Yeah. It's the, what do you want, what do we want, what do you want, okay, let's do that. So that's going to be happening shortly. The, the concern that I have over this budget and the last year's budget is um, we are in affluent times. When you create new programs, those programs have to be carried forward year in and year out going forward. Every economist that I've read has indicated that we are due for a, a dip in the economy and probably going to be a... A, a significant dip. When that happens in the next year or two, which is what they're predicting, all these programs that do get funded, what happens to them? Right, because if you commit to the taxpayer-funded education, you can't go back on that. It's an entitlement program because the, for all of us who have saved in the 529s, you know you've got to you've got to prepare one way or the other. So they can't go down that road two years and then and then repeal it like they did the car tax. Well, let me let me counter that because. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have the first cohort of the CCRI students graduating, the two years, so it was required that for two years. And we will have a really good sense, before this budget is finalized, how well this co cohort did. And from what we know, the numbers so far is, though the graduation rate is supposed to triple, so we're up to 18%. Yeah, it's triple to 18%. Triple right. to 18%. That means the vast majority of the students who started two years ago are not. But we've been paying for it in the budget. Right. So the this, the General Assembly has the opportunity before they finalize this budget to adjust that budget number going forward. All right. Uh, let's go. I do want to talk uh, nationally as Joe Biden got into the race, but let's do outrages first. Mr. Lehman, what do you have this week? Uh, my outrage of the week is, uh, is something that, that we've talked about here, I think, in the last week or two, uh, and that is this firefighters' compensation uh, in the state. I, I am very concerned about that. Nobody ever wants to say bad things about firefighters because they, they, they do great work. They're, they're important public service in the community. The problem is, if you look at some of the municipal budgets, you will see that the highest paid people in those municipalities are firefighters. Now, they've worked for it, but this system, again, it, it just sort of, why can't we find a solution to this? They don't want to hire more firefighters because now you've got legacy costs. Going down the road, you have to pay their, their, their benefits uh, until, until they die or whatever. So when you've got firefighters making somewhere in the vicinity of 150 to 175, 200,000 a year, You've got to say, wait a minute, we're smart people. Can't we figure out a way to do this? And, and this doesn't touch on some you know, shenanigans that go on within, within firefighting units. Some people, they've got a little bit of a system, as I'm told, that goes so that one guy doesn't show up and the other guy gets the overtime. And, uh, and, and I don't know how much of that is, uh, is extensive or not, but 
I, you know, I, I love firefighters, but I don't think we ought to be asking them to work those hours. First of all, that they, they can't be effective if you're putting in so many hours that you're making 175 or 200 thousand dollars a year. So I think along with these other problems we talked about today, this is really something because it goes right to the municipal budgets that you talked about. That, you know, Nick, you know, this is a very expensive item. And when you see, I, I think I saw a listing of some of the, 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 the top expenditures on, on personnel in Providence, I think, are firefighters. Yeah, it's firefighters. All right, Nick, what do you have? I have to agree with Dave. I, I'm going to put it in tandem with the, um, <clears throat> with the Evergreen legislation. Um, and I'm not going to repeat everything Dave said because it was so eloquently stated. <laughs> but <clears throat> really, you can't, you can't have a cap by law on what municipalities can spend uh, on the one hand, which is essentially what the tax levy cap is, what's called piva weed 4%. You can't have that and then at the same time make government a lot more expensive on the municipal level. It just doesn't make any sense, can't be reconciled, and you know what? Uh, I'm going to make a prediction. This bill is going to come back to haunt Rhode Island government, especially municipal government, both of those bills, the firefighter overtime and the evergreen legislation. All right. so. you, hear, you heard it here first. Maybe not first, but you heard it here. Lisa. Um, I'm going to go national with my outrage um, this week. So you mentioned Joe Biden. So now we have on the Democrat side at least 21 people who want to um, run for, for president. Uh, this week, Senator, um, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren came out with a proposal. They're all trying to figure out how to break away from the pack and get headlines. Well, her headline this week was not only is she in favor of free tuition for public um, community and four-year colleges and universities. She wants to wipe out student debt. A trillion dollars. A trillion dollars. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. <laughs> and then, and of course, she wants to pay for it by taxing the rich. Once again, we're not having the right conversation when it comes to education. When people choose education, it's an investment in themselves going forward. So it's a worthy investment to have. It's a worthy debt to take on. And for her to come out with this mass proposal just to get headlines and perhaps the younger people, you know, getting her support from the younger people, I'm just thinking this is such the wrong way to go in this conversation. What about Joe Biden getting into the race? Well, is he yeah. comfortable Uncle Joe or creepy Uncle Joe? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think he's, first of all, the guy probably has the best credentials of anybody who's, who's in the race, quite frankly. Uh, but I, I sort of think that uh, the time may have passed. Uh, you know, uh, in his announcement, which I thought was very good yesterday, what I saw, what he was saying was uh, when he saw what happened in Charlottesville, that basically made him think, I, I have to run. Well, why did it, if, if that was such a strong uh, impression on him, why is, it, why is he the last one in, to, to declare? And he's, somebody has done the totality of the, all this thing for his, his election costs. He's got to raise $100,000 a day from now until Christmas. Yeah. That's a heck of a lot of money. And you have to have a heck of a lot of favors you're going to owe people to get that kind of money. So uh, I, I kind of think that uh, I think that the enthusiasm of some of the younger Democrats, I think that's going to eclipse uh, his, his Well, it sets up the old guard and the new guard. But Bernie Sanders, a lot of people thought he it, his time had passed. I mean, you know, he had his chance sure. four, four years ago. What do you think about the dynamics? That's the irony of uh, Bernie Sanders. He's the only one in the race who's as old as Joe Biden. Uh, but he's he's got... <laughs> Six, he's got the young wave. He's got the young blue wave, uh, and he's proven that it works for him. He did very well in in sixteen, 
uh, almost beat Hillary Clinton. I don't think Joe Biden's going to make it either. Mm -hmm. I just don't see it. The party has changed. Time has marched on. It always does. And and he's just uh, old hat uh, within the political circles. It's going to be a fascinating process. I'm really yeah. looking forward to watching it. You know, um, barring Governor Weld, I mean, we should assume that Donald Trump will be the only, you know, the Republican nominee going <laughs> yeah. forward. If the Democrats are really serious about taking the White House, they have to come behind one person. You're absolutely you know, right. It's just it's just too big of a field. It's too enormously mm -hmm. expensive to run a presidential campaign in all 50 states that if they continue on this way, that they're just going to concede the race to They Donald should have learned Trump. from the Republicans last time around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look what happened. All right, uh, folks, that's all the time we have. Nick, good to have you back. And thank Lisa you. and Dave, as always, thank you for joining us. And if you don't catch us on Friday or Sunday, our normal time, hey, go online. We're on YouTube, Facebook, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts, you can take us along with you. We will be back here next week. Hope you can join us as a lively experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For 30 years, A Lively Experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. 